Welcome to the Versopolis podcast. I'm Mitya Drab, and the title of today's episode is Reject Modernity, Embrace Poetry. Joining me are two poets, Dr. Paige Quinones and Frank Kaiser. Dr. Paige Quinones is the author of The Best Prey, which received the 2020 Plato's Press Lina Miles Weaver Todd Prize for Poetry. She has received awards and fellowships from the Center for Mexican-American Studies, the Academy of American Poets, and Imprint Houston. She earned her MFA from the Ohio State University and her PhD from the University of Houston, where her doctoral thesis explored confessionalism through 20th century American poetry. Also joining us is Frank Kaiser, a poet and essayist from the Netherlands. He's the author of five books of poetry, an editor at the Flemish literary magazine NY, co-founder of the online magazine Sample Canon, and co-host of the literary critical podcast Links Richten. His newest book, titled The Introduction of the Plot, is an adventurous exercise in collective thinking about, quote, how can we stop the exploitation of capitalism on our bodies and the earth? So, dear Paige and Frank, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Okay, so the title of our episode today is a little bit clickbaity, right? Because it stems from a <laughs> meme, you know, like reject modernity, embrace tradition, uh, that especially the so-called manosphere likes to use in reference to the good old times, whatever that means, and calling upon people to return to a simpler version of society when technology and pop culture were not the dominant tenants, right? But today we want to ask another question about poetry's intimate relation to modernity. Is poetry a relevant art form today and does it stand up to modernity? Uh, in a similar way, many people think of opera as a dying art form, but in a recent article, Marina Abramovic said that we are in the 21st century and it's time to change the rules and dismantle the structure and blow some fresh air into opera, end quote. And there is also a beautiful quote, quote from the American poet Billy Collins, uh, who said that poetry is the only history of the human heart and that throughout time poets have to quote look at clouds and watch chipmunks because someone has to keep an eye on these things end quote it would be unreasonable to suggest that poetry is going away anytime soon of course but at the same time we can ask the question whether poetry also needs its structure dismantled and some fresh air blown into it um, and the way i understand it uh, we can debate this classification, we can approach this, uh, these two questions from two sides. So one is the fact that poetry as an act of writing demands a certain sensibility that is often drawn out in our information overload culture. Uh, I remember one of the 10 rules for novelists from Jonathan Franzen being, quote, it's doubtful that anyone with an internet connection at his workplace is writing good fiction, end quote. And I think there is some truth in that. Uh, the act of writing demands a unique space for contemplation and mindfulness. But the other side is that poets seem to be losing their reputation as the public intellectuals they once were. In October, the Frankfurt Book Fair is coming up, and I read a piece recently which argues that in the past, people would flock to Frankfurt to have the opinions of literary stars like Rushdie and Marquez, but today the role of the author is often reduced only to his or her ability to produce bestsellers. So, these are all questions we can further explore, but I want to start real simply. So, Paige, recently I had the pleasure of translating your poem, Mushrooms, and there is a pervasive sense of calmness and mindfulness in it. It tells the story of two people gathering mushrooms. I really like it. Uh, so, I want to return to Jonathan's friends and quote, 
about the need to quote touch grass in order to write <laughs> well so what is your take on this would you agree or not i think well it will be hard for me to talk about everybody <laughs> but i can talk about myself and sort of my trajectory as like an academic poet turned you know graduate of the system yeah. and how my poetry is looking today or the kinds of the way that I was thinking about poetry when I first started versus now. And I think that yep. there is some truth to that. I do think Jonathan Franzen is a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. He's so like, he's kind of, he's got to get with the program. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but there is some level of like, I think that we are all kind of feeling this compulsion to get into nature. I mean, these like writing retreats and, fellowships where you're in a hut in the woods or you go to the vineyards of Italy or Greece or wherever those wouldn't be nearly so popular if it wasn't something productive right people get a lot of stuff out of that yeah. and for myself since moving to Slovenia I mean the major change that I've experienced besides the language one is the sheer amount of like moving into nature and this, it's working on the cogs of my mind when I'm thinking about poetry. And it's funny that you brought up this poem because I was just today in the forest gathering mushrooms. Like That's awesome. Whereas in the U.S. <laughs> that was such a huge event to do. It was more difficult. Here you just drive up to a hill and you just walk into the woods. and We do it all the time. And it is such a deeply meditative practice that I think... I think everybody should be doing it, to be honest, if they want to write good poetry. I mean, just try <laughs> it out. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, in the poem, you write that, uh, about the, the fungus filaments, fungus filaments that weave a pattern underneath the mycelium. I really love that one. So is this the poem that was recently published in the Washington Square Review? or? No, no. Um, the one that I'll read today is the, um, it's we about Wolf. It's about the yes. two lovers and the, yeah, you'll see at the end. Right. <laughs> okay. So Frank, what is your take? Uh, is it possible to write good fiction without working Wi-Fi? Uh, in one of your poems, you write that quote, I did many searches on Google, which also doesn't know how it feels to be alive in the 21st century. So how does it feel to be alive in the 21st century? <laughs> Well, I mean, when I wrote that poem, I think it was 10 years ago almost. And oh. I mean, even then it was like um, this whole, um, there was this very online discourse already. And it's mm. been become much, much worse <laughs> in the last 10 years. Yes. Um, so, um, and it sort of tries to, to, um, tries to gouge that 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 deep uh, divide between let's say effective life uh and and internet life both mm -hmm. uh, both internet is like an intensified social sphere and it's a very lonely sphere so mm -hmm. i guess uh, i guess that's uh, a lot of poetry is also coming out of that uh divide right now for me it's uh i try to well, without becoming a sort of pastoral <laughs> or neo-pastoral poet, I try to uh, I try to 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 get a sense of 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 what nature can be in in poetry right now, because mm -hmm. um, of course there is this huge uh, tradition of, of 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 
of, of poetry, romantic tradition, poetry in nature. Um, but nowadays, this whole divide between nature and, and society is, is coming apart. And I think uh, that's what I try to do philosophically in my work, to, to, to discover what that means, uh, especially with, with ecological and climate destruction coming so, uh, so close to us right now. Um, yeah. On a more practical level, um, I'm definitely um, finding a new relationship to, to nature. Uh, I'm going out more into nature. Um, mm. um, I try to, uh, yeah, I try to, um, yeah, I try to get, I to, I try to get, well, not, not maybe not inspiration from it, but I, I do want to uh, establish a more physical relationship to my environment. Um, mm-hmm. And that used to be the city. City life used to be very important for that, and now it's more. The borders between cities and and outside of it. Um, mm-hmm. That's I think that's how, how my work is now evolving. Yeah, yeah. So in 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 the in the past it was more like uh, it had a bigger focus on urban urbanism, yeah. like uh, man-made structures. Would you say? Yeah, I I guess so. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Schopenhauer said that um, <laughs> the 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 uh, a person's iq is directly correlated uh, to how he or she likes to have peace and quiet around him or her <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe are we all destined to go out like the the older we get we are like millennials so the older we get maybe we will more and more strive to go out page what do you think i think so but i also think that like even in the last you said that that poem of yours frank was from 10 years ago you know we are facing a proverbial asteroid heading towards earth and you know we're all becoming so frustrated with how little is being done to address it and as poets you know we're thinking about ourselves of course it's a selfish kind of thing to be doing but also we're wondering about the human condition and like where are we going to be? What is going to happen to us? What does it mean to live in this space and to be doing something as futile, seemingly futile, as writing poetry in a world that's on fire or flooding in the mm. case of Slovenia literally last mm-hmm. week? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that we are moving more towards these kinds of questions. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think that we're many people, and especially writers and artists, are becoming more preoccupied with this because it's becoming more and more terrifying and we like to write about things that terrify us mm-hmm. no i agree it's i think it's a very uh it's very much in step with 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 the way uh with the direction the world is heading in general um and i think poets can be uh i mean even even though it's a very fragile uh activity even and, and it's a very fragile public sphere as well around poetry i mean this is something that i uh that i really connect to from your introduction this idea that there is no uh, public sphere anymore around poetry uh i guess even though that is the case uh, poets can be uh, still be uh sensitive to uh let's say uh, what's coming uh What's come? What the things that 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 are ahead? The things that come to us, uh, and that that 
I think still I still think poets can can sort of be uh, how do you call that uh, seismograph uh, mm -hmm. seismographs from that uh, and try to pick up on very small uh, <laughs> um, yeah. very small movements and, and and write about that. I think that's uh, and you need peace and quiet to to hear the sound of his movements, right, or something like that. Exactly. I yeah. think so. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, Frank mentioned the role of poets and how there's no more public space. I think this is the case not only for poetry, but uh, but in um, also more generally, our public spaces have become what uh, Twitter or X, as it's not called, or I don't know, um, maybe shopping malls or something like that. Uh, how could we well i don't know this is now a super hard question but how do you think we can we can construct like public spaces again page have you also had like the experience of the disappearance of the public space ever or where do you or maybe i guess what i'm asking is how can we intersect the how can we intersect the aloneness and uh, contemplation that we experience ourselves in nature and somehow share this with people through a platform like a public space or something like that is there really nothing else to do but break into song when you are drunk at the pub or <laughs> like, this is what we did last time and it was awesome it was great but i felt this like a boomer of... you know yeah. It's there's like nothing better than that. Well, but I I mean I do have to say that coming from the United States, it's a very it's a paradoxical place because we do simultaneously have huge communities of writers. There is a huge public space. Mm -hmm. They are primarily centered around universities. Yeah. Um, but just the sheer number of masters programs and PhD programs for writers of all you know, walks of life, ages, you know, you can go, you can do it online, you can do it in person, you can do it low residency. Um, but once you leave that space, I do think it gets lonely. And here, I mean, I'm in sort of a strange circumstance, because I don't speak Slovene yet. But here, I have felt incredibly lonely and isolated. And I don't even think, I mean, I got rid of my Twitter as soon as Elon Musk got in charge. So maybe that is also part of the problem. But <laughs> I don't think that any amount of like online connection air quotes would really replace what I felt when I was in my doctoral program, just the sheer number of readings and visiting writers and mm -hmm. public performances and things that we would do together. So for like people outside of that, I really don't know. I mean, I think, I think in the U S there is some amount of, conglomeration or connection or whatever of people in this profession or who do this. Um, but I think that generally Americans are lonely and isolated. Um, and I feel that way here, but I don't think that Europeans are as lonely and as isolated as Americans are. That's a very good point. It it may uh, it may have to do some it may have to do with the concept of this nuclear family, you know, that that sprung up after the war and so on. In uh, Mediterranean countries, it was quite um, it was quite common for like uh, 
three generation family to live together, right? I mean, sometimes even to the detriment of younger generations and so on. But um, there was always a sense that you could count on the community a little bit. I mean, this uh, maybe tribalist feeling was stronger maybe than in America. So I think that Americans are in fact more lonely and even I think even research supports such findings. So um, and it's harder it's harder to be connected with nature or and I know that sounds sort of corny. <laughs> I wish that there was a better way of phrasing it, but there's less of a an appreciation for like food, what nourishes you or the land that you're living on or what is nearby or you know, the history of a place compared with, with Europe and there are pros and cons to each of them. But I do think that they affect the, the impulse to write or the, the way that somebody can think about poetry or whether or not they have the attention span for creation, which is why I think these retreats or fellowships are so popular in the U S people do them all the time Mm. to go for two weeks somewhere and write. Um, and it's also partly because of capitalism, because they need time off from their jobs. <laughs> yep, for sure. So, Frank, you're you're uh, you're, uh, you're a European poet. So, how do you feel about uh, this loneliness uh, with relation to, well, not only poets but people? Well, I think I think indeed the social structure of of the US is quite uh, quite atomized. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see this often in 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 countries that are very um, that have a very uh, that are very developed in a capitalist sense. Um, yes. And I think this is uh, this is uh, true as well for the Netherlands. Mm. I think it's one of the most um, I mean it's a very technocratic country. Uh, with a huge, uh, with a very early history uh, of capitalist development uh, yes. in agriculture, for example, in fishery, uh, not so much in industrial uh, sense. It's has a very late industrial nation, but but it has a very uh, old history, let's say, of this uh, this uh, technocratic planning from above. And I think this is also you can also see this in uh, in the way people relate to uh, to nature. But I do think uh, because of its small scale, there is a there are some. Uh, it's also a very networked country in a way, mm-hmm. uh, so people can more easily connect. Um, whereas the US is so spread out, um, I do mm-hmm. think that that makes a difference. Um, the other thing is, uh, I guess that it's a very Protestant country and therefore very individualized. <laughs> I yes. think this is not so different from uh, from the U.S. in that sense. The Calvinist, the Calvinist yeah. work ethic, right? So yes, I think it's very strong, and I see in Catholic countries, I see more uh, <laughs> more of the more of a let's say um, communal life uh, bill still being. Um, well, it still has remnants of that, and I think those remnants are a bit more. Um, well, they're not entirely gone, but it's it's. I think there's a very radical, uh, 
tradition has been very uprooted in the Netherlands. Uh, after a very, it was a very religious country for a long time. And then all of a sudden, let's say the 60s, it became a very secular, one of the most secular countries in the world. And yeah. I think this has very much a bearing <laughs> on the Dutch psyche now, nowadays as well. Those communal structures have been uh, have been uh, lacking, um, hmm. um, and I mean it's also in a way a good thing because of mo mo many of those structures were very repressive. Um, but there's also I think a lot uh, in a lot of communities uh, in the Netherlands the sense that uh, this loss has been uh, not been uh, filled somehow. Hmm. So there's this sense of looking for uh, looking for. Uh, for a way out of this, uh, um, yeah, this lack, uh, a way to fill it. Um, I guess in terms of, let's say, concretely in poetry in the Netherlands, it's very, in a way, it's thriving. Um, huh? Because it's, um, because there's a, these, a lot of micro communities where, 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 where people come together to uh, uh, to read and to write, I think this is uh, this is actually a more active uh, way uh, in which poetry has has also reached new audiences, uh, reached new people. But in terms of let's say the infrastructure um, in universities, that's that's more and more. Uh, disintegrated uh right now oh interesting mm -hmm. interesting so page there, uh, yeah, yeah very, sorry go on yeah very different story in that sense from the us or the uk where universities are uh yeah places where poetry is uh is sort of finding a new home yeah and we are very professionalized very institutionalized home but in a sense there is a way uh that's a mechanism that's not uh there in uh, the Netherlands. Um, yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you mentioned like the role of the poet as the public intellectual. So, Paige, how do you see like the role of poets today? Like, should should one as a poet carefully curate uh, his self image through social media platforms, or or should poets be like these hermits who live in in obscurity? Um, <laughs> you know, like there's a there's a we talked about um, a poet last time from Croatia. Um, who was it? Uh, Dragojevic, I think. Who is such a such a such a hermit of a figure? He like uh, publishes a book every once in a while. No one knows where he lives really. He doesn't allow any of his photographs to be present in print or on the internet. And even more, uh, every book that he publishes, he doesn't even allow it to go through a second edition. And he doesn't even allow any translation of his work, right? Wow. And in a way, and in a way, mm. he's super old. He's like, I think he's like eighty or ninety or something like that. Uh, oh God, I hope he's still alive. I, I might I might have checked that <laughs> out. But anyway, it, it is uh, should one carefully curate like his image? Uh, for example, like we also talked about Lord Lord Byron last time, who had like rockstar status, you know, right. Uh, so is the age of poetry long gone and is this the age of social media influencers like what do you think oof um that 
it's a bit of a loaded question, I think. Yes. I, mean, I think that there are still very much writers and poets in the U.S. who don't have a huge social media presence. However, the ones that are most widely read who are young most certainly do. Um, and so there is this very American thing of becoming a marketable person and thinking of mm -hmm. yourself as like a marketing object. I, personally, I cannot really speak to this because I find it all very tedious and I <laughs> don't like doing it. You know, I post on my Instagram story, but it's mostly just like pictures of whatever I'm doing. It's not like, and I know I should be posting more poetry and, you know, like, oh, here's that publication. Here's this and this. And I just find it all so exhausting. I don't know. I think. It's true. I, 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 I think that there is, yeah, there's truth to this. And is it a bad thing? Is it a good thing? I really can't say. I don't know. But I know that I feel deeply uncomfortable with it on a personal level. Um, because so much of poetry is being sort of obsessed with yourself already, at least a little bit. And <laughs> to like really kind of verbalize that more obviously is a little bit difficult for me. Um, but some people are really, really good at this and good for them because they're getting that money and they're getting paid and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. Where does, where do we come down on this? I can't say, but I also know plenty of people who are really successful who just don't have social media at all. And I think it's probably better for their mental health. I just kind of wish that we weren't all held to this kind of standard, you know, like, you have to be doing this. You have to be promoting yourself in this way or else nobody will read your stuff. That is, that's very tiresome to me. I wish it wasn't like that, but it is. I totally agree. Frank, what is your take on this? Well, I totally agree. It's very tedious the way poetry or literature has to be marketed uh, through, like, let's say, an individual persona so much. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even relationships to traditions, writing traditions, uh, become become that way. A very individualized. Uh, the idea of, of let's say having this public culture around it that's 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 really um, that seems to be something from the past. Um, sadly, um, mm -hmm. I I don't know how to change. I mean, there's part of it is that there are not these infrastructures anymore to do that. Um, but what I would love to think about how that can be, how those can be rebuilt uh, in a way, uh, so that poetry is something more than, uh, or literature is something more than a, than a product uh, of, a, of an individualized author. Um, but I guess this is a very utopian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very utopian to think of it that way. But um, I also do see people who are, how do you say, subtracting themselves, retreating, mm -hmm. retreating from any public sphere, and they're they are uh, looking into. For them, art is becoming this counter counter sphere. I would say, mm -hmm. so where you can be, uh, where where you can be not transparent, and where identity can be confused and something you cannot market, 
Uh, I see that uh, this is a something that I think coming up right now in I mean still very marginal but 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 to I also see it in how the way people relate to the places they grew up you know uh, you used to go to the big city to become let's say this bohemian figure in society or to become this intellectual with a role in society and nowadays people are moving away from cities or to the margins of cities uh, also yes. through gentrification of course yeah yeah people are pushed out and i see people try to um make something from that uh development and try to uh reconnect to the places they are coming from or the places that i that they end up uh, very local places in some cases and try to build a praxis as an artist also a political one um in a community uh, sometimes the community of their choosing, sometimes much more complex than that. Um, and I also find that a very interesting uh, tendency. Uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, if that will blow up because I still think people are going to these global hubs. Um, but I do see an interesting counter narrative to that, which revolves around. Uh, Connecting to communities not not filled with artists, but uh, yeah, with people who are relate to very differently to, to literacy and to culture. Um, mm. And and I think that's uh, I think that could be a very interesting um, path out of this uh, out of this uh, out of the situation. Mm. Um, I'm not Can sure we, where it will lead, but it, I think it's interesting. It would be interesting because it's not so set out. It's not scripted. Can we pause for one second? It's raining and all my laundry's on the balcony. Absolutely, yeah. Sure. Go, 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 yeah. Go, go. <laughs> go, go get it. wait for you. Yeah. yeah, that is true. That is true. And I also see here a relation with what the corona crisis did to mm -hmm. us. Um a lot of, or well, some professions saw that um, that uh, work can actually be done outside of the city because of mm -hmm. the remote nature of the work. And uh, we actually witnessed uh, kind of a de-urbanization. Um, yeah. Because if you look back long, if you look back long enough, why, why exactly do we all need to start work at 9 a.m. on a weekday? It's mm -hmm. totally related to the industrialization and uh, you exactly. know, the, the yeah. factories and so on, right? So now that our work is more and more, um, more and more kind of, um, well, it can be done from home. It can be done over the internet. It's, uh, I think, this trend even accelerated uh, now in the in Corona times, in COVID times, right? So I this agree. Is, this is interesting. It's and interesting it's, that. Uh, yeah. It's all related to if you well we started out with modernity of course this conversation yeah. and yeah modernity and this and, and industrialization of are of course uh, of a part and um the question is are we experiencing this kind of this de demodernization at the moment or is it mm. something else are we still in this phase of modernity in a way we are, but it's also mutating into something different. And I'm not sure what, but 
there's definitely a trend towards um, disintegration of this modern world where everything was, you know, where this this whole work regime and this industrial regime and the social regime it was all uh, was all uh, integrated into one uh, social uh, sphere, and that that seems to have been uh, broken up into different pieces. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure where uh, where I'm heading with this, but uh, I, I definitely uh, no. I think uh, your I think your seismometer seismometer is sensing something. <laughs> <laughs> well, in terms of American poetry, and I can speak for myself here, but I've seen it in other people that we had this kind of fracturing of. I'm talking about the words and the lines and the poems yeah. themselves. They became very sort of um freeform sentences sort of all over the place line breaks all over the place and we're kind of getting back to a more traditional more conservative looking poem mm-hmm. lately um and that doesn't really surprise me i think a traditional form offers a level of control that's <laughs> here i'm speaking of myself a traditional form offers a level of control that is sort of pleasurable when we're sort of dealing with subject matters that maybe feel out of control um so i tend to i do like to write more of my nature poems in a more standard meter or thinking differently about line break and sentence than i would have when i was starting out as a younger writer Mm. um and i'm seeing more and more friends you know writing in pentameter, rhyming their poems in perfect rhymes, not even slant rhymes. And I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of cool. <laughs> I think it's nice. Yeah. Frank, do you see this I, trend? I, in? Well, I, I, can't, I can't say I see this trend in the Netherlands. Um, I do see a trend of, um, of um, let's say, the opposite of condensation. You know, this lyrical condensation yeah. that's really out of fashion at the moment. Bones are very narrative, they're very prosaic, um, and they become very uh, discursive uh, or argumentative. And I think this is uh, also an influence of, uh, perhaps an influence of the, let's say, our contemporary media sphere, or uh, poetry is, is sucking up a lot of discourses uh, from outside of it. Yeah, where I was, whereas I would say the modernist tradition was very about condensation or breaking up uh, poetry, uh, really about um, really about depersonalizing uh, poetry uh, and making it. Uh, I mean, it was all about the material itself. Um, I see it's more personalized. Personal. I see a new trend of personalization or repersonalization. Or confessionalization, perhaps. Mm. Also, it was also part of that, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't see. I don't see really see the. I do see a trend of nature poetry right now in the Netherlands, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, but uh, I don't see rhyme coming back. No, no. Maybe you're just frequenting the wrong circles. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> uh, perhaps. I mean, it's poetry has become so uh, disintegrated. <laughs> there could be a very. Uh, a trend that that's not even on the radar pop yeah. up all of a sudden so that's also true right now poetry in the netherlands it's very hard to to um to 
see it as a whole. Mm-hmm. It, used to, it used to be able to, to do that, to, to see one tradition, one national tradition. Yeah. And that's it very impossible. Now. It's impossible now. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I am speaking very generally and yeah. it's not for everybody, but I do like to see it here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was also thinking of a different trend of um, the lack of intellectual spaces, mm. spaces to think, uh, makes poetry and int- makes poetry a vehicle for, let's say, other pursuits that maybe would have um, taken on a different form um, when those intellectual spaces were still uh, were still there. So poetry is becoming a form of research. Uh, poetry is becoming a form of uh, of critique. Um, mm-hmm. All kinds of all kinds of other discourses uh, try uh, are migrating into uh, poetry. It seems, mm-hmm. and I, I theorize it's because of this lack of intellectual spaces uh, uh, in the Netherlands, where you can uh, do kind of intellectual work. Those infrastructures are very. Uh, Rare. I mean, st- there are still universities, but in terms of poetry and or left-wing thinking, for example, uh, they don't exist. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Because of uh, the atomization that you mentioned earlier, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and because intellectual work on universities is very much uh, conforming to this international ranking system right now. And oh, yes. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's terrible. And that, that of, of course, makes for... Uh, for uh, for research that is not uh, the most cutting edge or interesting. And I think some people are, are using poetry or uh, literature to, to do research that uh, that could well have taken a different form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you see this in academia as well, Paige? Like this trend you... of, uh, of um, diminishing uh, intellectual spaces or something? I mean, but you said in America... Personally, no, I don't think so. I mean, the mm-hmm. schools, the MFA programs are just everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And the the conference, we have like a big conference in the US. It's just one of them, AWP, Association of Writers and Writing Programs. Um, it's like 10,000 people that go every year and it's just more and more every time. Um, so no, I, I I think more and more people are reading poetry, which is very shocking to me because my impulse is like a, a aging millennialist to be like, these kids today don't read anything. But I don't think that's true. I mean, I my, I feel that that is true, but intellectually, I can tell that it's not true because otherwise people wouldn't be going to graduate school. They're reading yes. something. Um, so I do think that poetry is thriving and perhaps maybe more so than things like philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um so I do think it's interesting, Frank, what you're saying about how poetry is becoming this space where you can accomplish a lot of different things. And I, I think that is true on some level in the U.S., but maybe more on an individual level rather than mm. sort of a cultural shift. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that you mentioned that no one reads anymore because uh, last okay. last year, the online giant TikTok presented itself at the fair for the first time at the Frankfurt Book Fair as a promoter of reading and promoting books. And with the hashtag uh, book talk, young people briefly introduce books to other young people with videos. And um, during the fair, a dizzying 83 billion video views were already behind this keyword. 
So I also personally think that the alarmist attitude of no one will read books anymore is just an iteration of this, these age-old concerns of old people regarding modern technology. Remember that already Socrates was corrupting the youth of Athens. Right. <laughs> I, I saw a really cute TikTok trend now uh, with teenagers being obsessed with Kafka, right? <laughs> so uh, the, the TikToks usually go something like that. Um, they... they um, um, the TikToks usually like has have Kafka's boyish face on them, and then um, and then like um, and then like uh, writing, you know, when he says "I love you," but Frank Kafka said, "If a million loved you, I'm one of them, <laughs> and if one loved you, it was me. If no one loved you, then you know that I'm dead," and so on, you know. And they are rediscovering this old, <laughs> uh, you know, a hundred year old writer with this boyish face and it even goes so far that some teenage girls want birthday cakes with Kafka on them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. They, they like his whimsicality and his, uh, I don't know. Uh, and his yeah. So something is changing. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah I guess it's, I yeah. Think... Oh, go ahead. No, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, you know, I, I'm scrolling on TikTok, you know, as one does, <laughs> and I get things of like Slavoj Zizek, like uh, people are like, oh, I'm on Zizek talk, <laughs> and that just cracks me up, because who are these young people that care about this, but they do, so, you know, it is all, I, but I do see, you know, the spelling and the comments and things, and I just have to roll my eyes, because I'm like, oh my god, this is from a lack of real reading, but that is, again, just me being old and crotchety. I do think that there is quite a lot of reading going on. And people really identify with a lot of sapphic poetry and, you know, how that coincides with film. And people will make these kind of amazing slideshows of female love, female anger. And it can really be quite beautiful. So, you know, I wish I was teaching at the moment because I... I would love to incorporate some of these ideas into what I end up talking about um, because I think that there's a lot of opportunity there for young people to see things differently and bring something new to the table. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, uh, we should really resist the urge to, to fall back into this facile cultural pessimism, which is, uh, which is that, which I think, yeah, we should resist that urge and try to, look at how can we think of different ways of reading and, uh, and writing because i think do pe people also read on instagram right i mean instagram yeah. is a way to, yeah people instagram is a form of reading as well <laughs> yeah yeah people also write on it people also write on it um so yeah it's i think it's I mean, the analysis that it's, it's, it's sort of an anti-literate anti sphere, I think uh, it's not correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some people write really long, uh, like, yeah. uh, text underneath the Instagram posts, you know? Like, I never, yeah. I, I, I never read that because I'm like, <laughs> I'm a little bit cynical in this way. I'm like, okay, why should I read this? I have so many books here, like That's not why I'm on. <laughs> That's not why I'm on Instagram. <laughs> That's not why I'm on Instagram. Precisely, <laughs> just give me the. the just stuff. give me the images <laughs> and the, the filters. Images. I yeah. just need like my 
my reptilian brain needs the, the images. I, yeah. I do agree with you. I mean, yeah. on some level, yes, of course. But people do what they want. <laughs> people do what they want, precisely. And there's a niche yeah. interest for everyone. And I think this is beautiful in some way. So, so yeah. So, Paige, in your poetry collection, The Best Prey, awesome book collection, read it if you have the chance. Uh, there are some direct confrontations between the natural and the artificial man-made world. Um, uh, to return back to the artificial man-made duality. For example, you write an ode for a sparrow trapped under the ceiling of a museum, which I really love. Yeah. And in the poem Inside In, you write these wonderful verses. And if I would attempt to read them. So, I once watched a deer walk into a convenience store. I tell you, wild animals look weird under fluorescence. Love is like that. So from this poem, I get the sense that love is also strange seen under the fluorescent lights, right? So by a stretch of the imagination, is this like, again, a kind of role for the Emerson like call to return to nature? Or like, uh, is this something, would you embrace this cottage core living? We already talked about it, but... <laughs> What does it mean that love is strange seen under the fluorescence? <laughs> what did the well, poet yeah. This poem is about a somebody that I was not supposed to be in love with. Um, and it was a very traumatic relationship in the way that love kind of traumatizes you when it's very intense. And if it's not intense, I don't know if it's even really love. Hmm. And just, I was thinking a lot about things being in the wrong places. And so much of that is going to be animals being in the wrong places because it's like sort of, it's a compelling image or sometimes even it's funny or tragic or whatever it might be. Um, and so that was one of them. And also the bird, yes. I was at the Musée d'Orsay in France. And I was so worried about the birds flying around the top that I had to think about them more. <laughs> and yeah, they probably do die, don't they? Probably, yeah. They can get out. <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's such a great it's such a great observation because you are surrounded by these great works of art, but you see the sparrow trapped there. It's um, I really love yeah. this image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just. And going back to that, something being wrong, something being out of place, something being incongruous with the surroundings, for example, like the fluorescence of like a 7-Eleven and a beautiful little deer walking in and acting sort of strangely. It's a powerful um, image. It's a really yeah. powerful image. In okay. terms of whether that means I want to be like cottage core, I mean, yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> but I also like living in Ljubljana, so I don't know. I can't decide between the two of them. But Ljubljana is kind of a cottage core city, right? <laughs> it is, kind of. Everybody here, you're all just hobbits. Slovenians are hobbits. This is just Lord of the Rings. Precisely. Decide. This is like <laughs> Slovenia is the Shire. This is my. It is. <laughs> I said this so many times, and I'm so glad that you also noticed that is the share <laughs> people here like have fun you know they they have parties they smoke the the herb <laughs> <laughs> or what the hobby smokers yeah making so. honey you know having your bees making your syrups and picking <laughs> yes. mushrooms and everything yes. yes it's very funny so you Super. can kind of have both here which is nice yeah it's true 
it's true. Okay, so uh, we're nearing the end, guys. So I have like um, one last, uh, or well, not last, one of the last questions. So what are you working on these days? So Frank, um, do you have like a new work coming out and where can people find your work? Well, um, right now I've, I've returned to academia. So I'm very much holed up in archives. I'm researching the Cold War in the, the Netherlands, the early Cold War. Apart from that, I'm working on a novel, which is about my trip to uh, Kosovo in 2011, mm-hmm. uh, which deals with, uh, with, with East-West uh, tensions and how Europe, what kind of home Europe is and for who. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, in terms of poetry, well, every, every now and then a poem comes and it's very much about where I'm living right now, which is Brussels, actually. Well, I'm in the Hague now, but normally I live in Brussels, and I try to um, I try to write uh, about becoming a poet in Brussels or being a poet in Brussels and what that could mean. Mm-hmm. So, cool. and also the outskirts of Brussels, which are uh, beautiful and have a lot of, uh, which have old woods and sort of very hilly, pleasant. Hmm. Yeah, landscape. I never. I never thought of Brussels having some access to nature, but then again, yeah. I was there only like by train once, and it seems really dull and gray. But um, I it's never... a fascinating, chaotic city uh, that I've really fell in love with. So I mm. can really recommend uh, visiting. Cool, that's awesome. I can show you around in the best places. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you can. That'd be, that'd be great. So, Paige, what about you? What are you working on? What What are your passions now? Um, so I have been on a very long, lazy, jobless sabbatical for the last year. (laughs) (laughs) I've just been doing little freelancing things, mostly getting used to living in Europe, um, taking quite a lot of Slovene classes. And, um, I had originally proposed a Fulbright project to move here and, um, I was not accepted into that. So I sort of put that on the back burner, but, um, I think my anti-intellectual time is coming to an end. I feel the compulsion to write again, um, Mm -hmm. after the PhD, you know, you're just so, I was so exhausted, you know, it took me months probably before I could crack open a book at all. And now the tide is changing. And I think the poems I've written a couple, they're, starting to come um i need to revise my manuscript start sending work out and start trying to be a real person again instead of this i don't know european american hermit that i've been just sort of languishing here uh-huh. <laughs> and, and and why did you move to Ljubljana? um my partner is slovenian uh mm-hmm. But yeah, I finished my degree and we had nowhere to go. And and we just thought we'd come back to his homeland. Yeah. It's great. Oh, yes. I love it. (laughs) You were here, right, too, Frank? Yeah. Yeah, I I was was in mostly in Skofia Loka, actually. Oh, beautiful. Gorgeous. Uh, Where I did nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Where I was just... A living cottagecore, actually. I was living there uh, in a, in an old farm. 
Oh, <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, yeah, that was amazing. I mean, I really needed it. I was have I had been traveling for a month and a half, all the, all through the Balkans and uh, Turkey, oh. and I was so exhausted from travel that I uh, just. Uh, Spent my days doing nothing there and just, yeah. Mm. And I, I think that was my most cottagecore period actually in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what I, hope every, I hope everyone is okay there. I, I read about the very, uh, very, uh, very oh, troubling. Yeah. I saw some very troubling photos yes. and scenes from, from Skofia Loka sp specifically. So, oh uh, yeah, those people, I mean, um, a lot of property is damaged and people's lives are changed. So it's quite it's quite tragic actually it's one of the worst floods in history oh no it is the yeah. worst flood in, yeah. in history okay guys we're nearing the end and for the end i would love you i would love it if you could like um read a poem frank maybe let's start with you and then all right page yeah i'm reading a poem from uh, my recent book uh, which came out last year uh, it's called the introduction of the plot um, I think this, this hits on a lot of themes that we've been talking about. Awesome. I talked about the link between revolutionary action and the natural world. And I've shown how the botany of Rosa and her birds cover a broad terrain. How the cultivation of the cuttings can serve the organization on the ground, bring it further. Not so that the narcissistic moon can be nursed, but the seeds of the new. Compiles a catalog of hungering, not only for food, but also beauty. How you can deliberately absorb the environment, even imprisoned. Your resistance can drip through, and the great tits can help you transcend the anxiety. How opening an herbarium enriches you more than any party congress though that is perhaps not so difficult. But I can only show now how it is still more than tenacity that you can, that you don't just preserve, but you open up and that in this detention in which praxis is so restrained and sensory activity constricted and you are pinned up, who says it's only this that unites us and that culture is something for butterflies? That's wonderful. Thanks, Frank. Paige, do you have a poem ready too? Yes. Um, this is appearing in a in the recent issue of Washington Square Review. It's also um it's from my dissertation, my new manuscript that I'll be working on and sending out relatively soon. Hmm. We about wolf. First, we compared languages. You say English doesn't have enough words. Each finger is merely finger, each toe, toe. But your word for drowning sounds too much like utopia. And I think of a canoe cutting a dark lake, evergreen phantoms lurching preserved at its bed. In profile, you resemble a man I once loved. Same jawline, same eyelid folds. Just missing his beard's small whirlpool under the chin. The dreams about him come fast. And I wake expecting to feel some different heaviness beside me the fantasy of it lingering past morning the way a moth might mistake the moon for closer light. Each time he's farther. My favorites are your idioms. Same idea, different root. How about speak of the devil, I ask. 
Yours is better, I think. Me o voku, vok is gozda. We about wolf, wolf from forest. As if I could merely believe in the word at a tree line, and the animal emerges to make himself true. Wonderful. I love this one. Thank you so much. So thank you both for your time. I really appreciate that you took this hour for our conversation. So this was the Versopolis podcast, episode seven, titled Reject Modernity, Embrace Poetry with Dr. Paige Quinones and Frank Kaiser. Have a great day, everyone.